But thank you, Lux and Mastersons. We love you. So good to be in the same place as you again. Let's see. Well, Lux was probably going to say my name. He did. I'm the staff and worship coordinator here. Um, and I've been a part of this church for 18 years. Isn't that crazy? And I've also been on staff for almost nine years. Um, I live in Brighton with my husband, Andrew, and our three kids. Um, and I just want to say that this church is, is the home to me. It's, it's part of where I've grown up, and you all feel like family. So it's really a, a privilege to bring the Word of God to you today. We are in, continuing in our servant series. This is uh, the first of what we're calling Three Summers in Rome, as we're going to slowly walk through the book of Romans, which is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome. We've seen there is some conflict there between believers from a Jewish background and a Gentile background. Um, and in this letter, Paul lays out the clearest explanation that we have in the whole Bible of the gospel, the good news, all the stuff we've been talking about. And earlier in the summer, we gave you a bookmark with a reading plan, invited you to dig in and get creative and engaging with the scriptures. And just want to say, hey, if you forgot about that because we've been doing this for nine weeks, it is not too late. You know, today and this week would be a great time to pick up the book of Romans again, start at the beginning and catch up to where we are in chapter three. Um, engage with the text, because we're at a really pivotal place in the book of Romans today. Last week, Pastor John Locks shared about what it means to be under sin and under the law, and it was yet another message unpacking what I've been referring to as the bad news of the gospel, right? I said earlier that we have a song about it. There's three chapters that talk about this bad news, that there's nobody who has an excuse. There's no one who can stand before the Lord, no one who's good enough in comparison to God's glory, right? But today, this week, we get to take the joyful turn to the good news of the gospel. In fact, gospel means good news. We're going to talk today about how we can be made right with God by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Yeah, amen. And this passage is a really big one. We talk all the time about the gospel, but it's right here. And none other than Martin Luther called this passage perhaps the most important one in the entire Bible. So, thank you, Lux, for entrusting me with the most important passage in the entire Bible. Um, and I want to say, hey guys, buckle up. There's a lot here for us, and it is such good news. There are going to be a, a lot of big ideas, and the biggest one was what our, fun, our friends helped with over here righteousness, right? We're going to talk about the righteousness of God. I'll read the passage through, and then we'll take it verse by verse by verse as we learn about how we can be made right with God by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this letter that we have. Thank you for the good news. Spirit of wisdom and revelation, would you guide us into all the truth and open up the scriptures to us? And with the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, be pleasing to you this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, listen carefully with me as we follow along in Romans three twenty-one to 31. 
But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. All right. There is a lot here, guys. It is rich. We have a lot of big words. And earlier I thought I could do even a more complicated sign and scripture song thing. But we had a a piece of paper printed out for redemption, for atonement. I decided to skip those. And and for justification, which, by the way, I looked up in the New Testament Dictionary of Theology, and there were no fewer than six pages on justification. Just that one word alone. But the biggest word, literally, is righteousness. This passage is talking about the righteousness of God. When we think of that, probably we think of a moral characteristic, right? Like God's integrity, his purity, his holiness, his perfection, right? Um, These are his attributes, who he is. And even as much as we think we may understand about the goodness of God, we're we're probably only scratching the surface, right? He's, He's God. But this passage isn't just talking about the righteousness of God in terms of his characteristics. It's also talking about a righteousness from God, a status that he grants, a gift of right standing, of rectitude, of of being in the right. And my guess is that we can feel what this means in our relationships when something is off, right? When we're in the wrong, you might say. And I know we have our elementary students in the room. I don't want to put anyone on the spot, but I'm just curious how many of you have ever argued with your siblings? Okay, yeah, I know, me too, right? We all have. Um, and did anyone's parents ever make them apologize to their siblings? Say you're sorry. Okay. Did anyone's parents ever say, hey, what can you do to make it right? You know, like look for something, some way. Yeah, we, we've been trying to do that in our house. <laughs> to look for, you know, what can you do to, you can't unhit your brother, but you can you know, let him know you do, you do love him. Is there some way you, that you can restore the connection? 
or the relationship. And, you know, it's true for adults, too. We, it's helpful to think of this sometimes. But this righteousness of God that we're talking about is not something that we do. It's not a status that we earn. It's a gift that's given to us. So let's look at what Paul has to say about the righteousness of God. Here in verse 21, it says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. So before, all through human history up to Jesus, both kinds of these righteousness, both God's attributes and this right standing, they were only available and made known in the law. That's where they were laid out and how it was granted to God's people. And the law is not just a list of random rules. They display the character of God. There's a lot in there about how the poor are to be protected and provided for. And even the idea of Sabbath rest is built into the Ten Commandments. And that tells us a little bit about who God is and what his priorities are, right? And as God's people followed these laws, they were set apart from literally all the other people on the face of the earth. But now, Paul says, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. So this is a big change. Let's look at verse 22. It says, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So here, the righteousness of God, it's given by him. He's the one who has it, and it's given to those who believe in Jesus Christ. There's no earning It's just a matter of believing and receiving the wonderful gift of his love. And it's actually fairly simple. And he says there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. Your background doesn't matter whether you're from a very pious, observant, religious kind of background or whether you're a godless heathen, you never, whatever. He was speaking to the Romans, but it's true for us too that everyone has access to the gift of God's righteousness. In verse 23, he says, sad faces, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so this is just Paul reminding his readers of the bad news that he spent like three chapters expounding, that no one's righteousness is remotely comparable to the glory of God. And this is really bad news, guys. Like, I think it's such bad news that it's easier not to think about sometimes. It's easier to kind of minimize or avoid it. Like, you may even agree, okay, all have sinned, right? Everyone's done wrong. But like, is it really that big of a deal? Like, are we really that bad? It's, it's hard to reckon with. But guys, it is a big deal. It's a big deal. But it's also not the end of the story, right? Hallelujah. In verse 24, Paul goes on to really unpack this good news. It's like many different facets of this righteousness that are available to us. He says, All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. All are justified freely. So this word justified, if you look in the Greek, it's actually the same word that can be translated as righteousness. Um, So this phrase could be 
all our righteousness freely by his grace, which I kind of like that. It's like, I, I want to be righteousness, don't you? It's like justice and righteousness are so connected in who God is um, that we can, we can put it on. But of course, righteousness is, is not a verb. So the translators went with justified which has more of a a legal sense to it, right? There's this idea of a pardon or a vindication that we're made right with God freely, it says. But how? It's, in verse 24, it says it's through the redemption, that's another big word, redemption, that came by Christ Jesus. And redemption is not a word, I don't know, we don't, we don't use it that much. What are the things that we redeem? Maybe like a coupon or a voucher, or a rain check, maybe a lottery ticket. You know, it's not, it's not like super meaningful to us. But Paul is using the language of Old Testament slave systems, where if you were poor, you could sell yourself, you could hire yourself out as a laborer. But again, in how God provided for the poor, there's provisions for how slaves could be bought back. They could be redeemed. And so when he's talking about the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, it has a sense of freedom, of liberation, of the end of bondage and debt, all of that being over with. So we, look, we can look now at verse 25, where he gives us yet another facet of this being right with God. He's going to start using the language of the temple here, the sacrificial system. It says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And guys, I know preachers sometimes say, we don't have time today to go into such and such, but man, guys, we don't have time today to go into the full depths of what atonement is all about. There is really way more than I have time for, and it pains me. If it piques your interest, go to Leviticus 16 and read up about uh, the Day of Atonement, which is still practiced today in Jewish communities. Um, I will give you one little fun fact about atonement, and then I'll kind of give you the cliff notes. Uh, But atonement, and I find this interesting because I was a linguistics major back at Boston University, so I think this stuff is very cool. Atonement is the only theological word that we have in the English language that is of English origin. Most of the other words have have their roots in Greek. But it's such a unique concept that when the translators were first bringing the Bible into English, they had to make up a new word to describe the concept. It's at-one-ment, atonement. Isn't that cool? And what is it about? What is this talking about? So... You need to know that we are separated from God, from this holy, righteous God, because of our sin, right? And the righteousness of God includes a totally just and deserved holy anger, a wrath towards sin, right? That is bad news. But atonement, what it's all about, is through the shedding of blood, God's wrath is turned aside and sins are washed clean. This is such good news. (laughs) Before, in the Old Testament, there were animal sacrifices, which gave us a picture of what was coming in the death of Jesus. We're talking about the, the literal Son of God who actually died and shed his blood on the cross. 
and because of that, we are able to be made right with God. We're no longer separated from God because of our sin. His wrath is turned away from us, and we are washed clean. Hallelujah. It is so good. And there's so much to it. He goes on to say, he did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Previous slide. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. So that just gives us a glimpse of the significance of Jesus' sacrifice, that actually his death paid the penalty for all sin, for all time, going back all the way to Adam and then up to the present time and beyond. Just like, wow. Jesus really is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Let's look at verse 26. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So again, we have the two aspects of the righteousness of God. His character, he's just. It requires him to deal appropriately with sin. But he's also the one who justifies. He's the one who gives his righteousness away. Hallelujah. And who does he justify? It's those who have faith in Jesus. So let's summarize a little bit. These few verses have been literally packed with lots of significant language. It talks about how complex it is to be made right with God, to receive the gift of his righteousness. We have legal justification in terms of the law. We have liberation from slavery, bondage to sin and death. We have sacrificial atonement. So do you guys think, you know, you walk around thinking, oh yeah, I understand the gospel. Like, does it, does it feel like old news when we talk about it? Because guys, this is world-altering, life-changing, amazing, amazing good news, right? And there's always something more to marvel at it the more we think about it. And this is what we sing about every single week when we get together. I, I don't usually preach. I'm the worship leader here, right? And so every week I'm choosing songs and I'm trying to bring us back again and again to these themes, coming at it from different angles so that we can celebrate and remember the redemption that we have, the righteousness of God that we've been gifted. Because at different times, there are different things that resonate. So you know, sometimes we, we, feel far, we feel far from God because of our sin. And so that's why we sing. And guys, I'm just going to sing. That's <laughs> why we sing things like, Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Right? It's so good. And there's another song we sing. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Or, now my debt is paid, it is paid in full. 
by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. And now the curse of sin, it has no hold on me. Whom the Son sets free, oh, is free indeed. Amen. Hallelujah, right? Oh, may we never tire of singing this, right? And Holy Spirit, would you never fail to reveal it to us again and again that we would rejoice in our salvation. So good, guys. So in verse 27, Paul asks the question, where then is boasting? It is excluded, right? Because who has anything to boast about, right? What we've seen in these passages of what people do is pretty much that all have sinned, right? All fall short of the glory of God. But thankfully, there is more than that because we can believe, right? We can receive the righteousness of God by faith. We can be made right with God by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Because God is the main actor in these passages and in reality, right? He's the one who makes known his righteousness to us, his justice. He gives this righteousness away. He justifies those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. We can know for sure that we've been made right with God. And then we go on from that place and and do good things. But that's not how we earn our way into right standing with God. And this is different from every other system in in the world. Um, I have like an ancient example and some modern ones. So my daughter Zoe, who I see is in the hallway... (laughs) my six-year-old loves ancient Egypt. I mean, like, loves it. And so I asked her, I was like, Zoe, tell me, what's the deal with the afterlife in ancient Egypt? Like, how did they know if they were good enough, you know? She was like, oh, the heart and the feather. Like, she totally knew. And we have a, a picture here. So the ancient Egyptians believed that the heart contained a record of all the deeds that someone had done in their life, good and evil. This is part of why mummification and all of their internal organs being preserved, like they needed the heart at the, at the cusp there of the afterlife because the heart was literally weighed on scales against the feather of this certain goddess of justice. And depending how much good or bad you had done, you would either be like devoured at this point of judgment or they'd be free to continue on to the afterlife. So thank you for the visual. Or for a more modern contrast, I read up on Islam. And I'm going to quote here from whyislam.org. I'm not, you don't need to look at the website. I'm just saying I didn't make this up. Um, Islam teaches that our life is simply a test to determine our place in the eternal life after death. So Muslims believe that their deeds will be weighed, and so they live in fear of accountability in the hereafter. So they know that judgment is coming, but they do not know their status for sure until it's too late. There's like no way of knowing for sure. And and we have a sense of this in terms of other things in our world, right, of of questioning, like, oh, do do I measure up? Did I make the grade? Like, 
I'm sure many of us took the SATs or the GREs, right? You take the test and then you wait for your score to know, was it enough? Um, or I have actually friends this week who sat for the bar examination. So this is something they've been preparing for literally for years. And it's two full days of testing. And then I think they still have to wait like two more months before they know the results. Can you imagine? Um, or maybe you've served on a jury, right? Like you imagine the defendant as the jury goes out and they deliberate to come up with their verdict. And maybe hours or days or there's been cases it took weeks, right, for the jury to come back with their decision. But let's just get a little crazy for a minute and, and imagine a gift of right standing that given in these different situations. Just that right status was just gifted. Like you go to sit for the bar examination after years and the proctor comes in with a smile on his face and is like, I just, I just like you. I'm making you a lawyer. Go get him, attorney, you know? Or like, you are the defendant, and the jury has gone out, and they come back, and they're like, yeah, you're definitely guilty, but we talked to President Biden and arranged a presidential pardon, so you're free to go. Like, it doesn't work that way, right? This sounds bizarre. But with God, we do receive his favor, right? His righteousness comes to us as a gift, and it is entirely undeserved. It's received by grace. It's received through faith. So I'd like to invite the band to come up as we just think about everything that's here in these passages about the gospel, the good news that we can be made right with God by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. We can be justified. We can be redeemed. Our sins are atoned for. It's by faith, by grace. It's apart from the works of the law. And I know that there are some people here who haven't yet put their faith in Jesus. Like maybe you've heard this many times or one time, but you haven't, you haven't yet decided, right? And it's, it's, it is bad news, guys, that you're not able to measure up on your own, like your own goodness is not going to be enough. And I'm not like talking about a specific person like you. It's all of us. None of us have enough. But God in his kindness offers himself to us. Today is the day of salvation. We can be made right with God by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. All we have to do is ask. And for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, my question is, do we live like we really believe this? Or are we still operating as though we're still under some kind of law? As if we could be made right with God by, by just doing enough. By being a better, maybe just a, a good enough person. By serving in different ways or giving to charities or driving a Prius. You know, having your organic farm share. I'm talking about myself here, you know. Just trying to have a small carbon footprint. But to be honest, like even in 
preparing this sermon, guys, I, I found it in myself. Like, I really wanted to do a good job, which, of course, you know, you want to do a good job. But there was an edge of it where I was like, huh, I still think that God might like me more if I do a good job. And that is so besides the point, right? That is not what this life is about. Thank you, God. His primary orientation towards us is not one of, like, making little marks on our heart. Oh, good job, bad job, whatever. He's our Heavenly Father, right? So can we remember how He sees us as a good Father? As the one who actually created me and you? And when we think about the righteousness of God, right, this big lofty idea, there's space in all that goodness for a tender affection towards me, a tender affection towards each one of us. Because God is loving, He's kind, He's merciful, He does not treat us as our sins deserve, amen? He lavishes us with His grace. And those of us who have uh, children in this room, we get we get little glimpses of this imperfect parents, though we all are. When our kids act out, and I'm I'm thinking of my foster son in particular, although I think that this is true of all of us. When he's acting out, he doesn't really need me to come and be the hammer, right? To like bring bring big correction. What he needs to know is that I'm going to love him no matter what, right? Inside, he's wondering, like, do, do I belong here? Do I have a place in this household? Are they going to reject me? And God's heart is one of compassion. It's one of belonging, right? It's one of grace. That's God's heart for us. He actually delights in us. He actually forgives our wickedness, our rebellion, our sin. And when I take time to remember that, it just it blows my mind. And it melts my heart, doesn't it? So would you stand with me? I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good, more than we understand. And you've been so generous to us. Thank you that you have made a way for us to be made right with you by putting our faith in Jesus. And I ask that today would be the day of salvation for many, that many would see and receive this gift that you offer to us. And that you would give it to us anew. God, that you would free us from striving, free us from thinking that we have to earn your approval. Lord, would you speak your affection to us this morning? Would you come and bring your affirmation and your joy as we're here in your presence today? I pray in Jesus' name.